Welcome to Single and Mighty, the podcast for single parents leading mighty lives. This is Lindsay Carlson, and I'm here with my co-host, Carmel Ecker. Hey, Carmel. Hi, Lindsay. Um, I'm so excited. We've got Allison Orlovsky with us today, and she's got such a cool story. She's been a single parent a couple of different times after divorce, and that's really opened her up to some interesting insights, both about herself and about social expectations. We talked about not just her journey with divorce, but also that process of merging families and marriage at different stages of life. And, you know, it's things like, do you actually want to get married? And can it be on your own terms? You know, it's this thing that's so, um, you know, it's so steeped in tradition and, you know, the origins of marriage were around ownership and things like that. So in this modern context, you know, how are things changing? So I, it was just such a interesting conversation. Yeah. What I loved about it, Ellison, her first marriage, she was really, really young mm -hmm. and it wasn't a great situation. And she got out of it really quickly, which was amazing. And she learned a lot from it. Mm -hmm. And then from there, her relationships just kept to, kept growing. She kept growing as a person and looking for more and more um, of the ideal situation for herself yeah. and her kids. And over time, after doing all that work on herself, she really came to a place where she's super happy and feeling like she's in a relationship for the long term that actually fits who she is and who she wants to be. Yeah. Um, so just that growth trajectory was pretty awesome to hear. Yeah. As, as a coach, I love those stories of growth trajectory and where people um, get that when they do the work on themselves, like when they do the, um, when their inner world changes, that's what I'm like, when their inner world changes, their outer world also changes. It also follows suit. And so, but it's not necessarily the other way around. A hundred percent. So we need to do that inner work. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think it's really important for people who are in toxic relationships um, to know that if you do that inner work, you're going to change who you're attracting. Um, you're going to change what you're accepting for yourself. And you're even just realizing that you are enough standing on your own two feet and navigating the world, not needing anyone else, um, and just being strong in who you are. So I really loved that about Allison's story. Yeah. Yeah. She had that. She, I love how she shared that moment of why does this keep happening to me? Um, you know, and, and realizing that she needed to change some things for herself in order for things to start happening the way she wanted them to. And we say it like it's easy and we know it's not easy. And oh I know that you out there so listening <laughs> are not, are not finding it easy either. You're so not alone, but it's great to hear these stories when somebody has, you know, made some changes and they can look back and they can say, well, a lot of this comes from, from realizing how, how much I have to offer the world in the beginning. So yeah, super neat. Yeah. Allison yeah. is pretty cool. Yes. She's got her own business. Uh, she does relationship coaching. She's built a whole model based on the expertise that she's developed over her years of real life experience. So do check her out. And on that note, yes. we have something really exciting to share with you. Do, 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 do. Carmel, you want to tell us what it is? Do, 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 do. <laughs> yes. So we are hosting our first ever, um, I don't even know what we're calling it, community call, something oh. like that. <laughs> 
get together <laughs> gathering. You can help us come up with a name. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm really excited about this. The theme that we have for this one is super exciting for me because it's that idea of how do you build your own community as an adult, as a single parent. Um, it can feel so hard. You know, we were we were talking earlier, Lindsay, about how when you're a kid, you don't really have anything else to do but meet new people and make friends and go on play dates. And as adults, we have all of these other restraints in our life, right? We have jobs and we have, you know, maybe family around or maybe not family around. And so we don't have help. And so we're spending a lot of time doing all of the things. And the idea of putting the investment into trying to create mm-hmm. relationships with other adults, it just feels overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you've been listening to a lot of the episodes that we've done, mm-hmm. the single parents we speak with or talk to, most of them have figured out that without a community around them of some sort, life is a lot more difficult. And I know from my own story Um, not knowing how to accept help, not knowing how to ask for help and learning how to, how to change from that is really hard. And when you're in the parenting trenches and trying to support your family all by yourself, it can feel like you've got no extra time at all, but really through the relationships that I've developed, uh, that's where everything has grown in my, in my personal life and in my business and in the things I like to do the most exciting parts are when I've actually made space to, to connect with other people. So like it or not, um, it's, it's a key thing to help you have the life that you want to have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course the relationships that we build bring so much more than just support to make the single parent journey easier. It's also those, the emotional connection that we develop to other people that, it's, it's fulfilling and it, it's just nice to have friends, right? <laughs> it makes life happier. <laughs> it does make life happier. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that because making adult friends or making friends as an adult isn't always easy. And it's really something that we've figured is super important. So we hope you agree with us. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. what was it? You are the, the sum of the five people you surround yourself with, right, Carmel? The, the average you're the average, the average of the five people that you yes, surround yourself with. Yes. And and so, you know, who do you want to surround yourself with? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. So come surround yourself with us, with listeners. It is our first meetup. We'd love to meet some of the people who are listening to the show. And hopefully you'll enjoy meeting each other as well. It's on July 25th, which is a Tuesday at noon Pacific time. So make sure you change that time to your time zones. And for more info or to register, you'll just need to sign up for our email list at our website, singleandmighty.com, or check out our Instagram to get all the details as well. Okay. Well, I think without further ado, we can run off to today's episode. All right. Here's Alison Orlovsky. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. These are my favorite things to talk about. Yay! 
So the one of the first things that we love to have someone share about is is your story, uh, just to give people some context. So maybe you can give us the cold notes version. And it's always tough to wrap up, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40 years of life into, you know, a few minutes. But um, I, I have faith in you. Yes, certainly. <laughs> I will do my very best. It really, it started at 21 when I was dating this gentleman. And three weeks after I graduated college, I found out I was pregnant. And in the faith that I was raised, the right thing to do is to get married. And so we got married. And shortly after we did that, physical, mental, verbal abuse all started. And I knew that that was not okay. So at this point, my baby is, you know, a year old. It's not getting better. You keep thinking, they're going to change. They're going to change. They now have this new responsibility. We'll get their life together. <laughs> and um, that was not the case. And so I knew that that was not a healthy relationship for me or for my son to be in. And so I filed divorce. Um, and so at this point, I am 23, so pretty young. And went through a very messy divorce. What I didn't know until I was probably in my early 30s is that I had been married to a narcissistic sociopath. I didn't even know there was a name for people like that. Uh, Yeah, I can imagine how in your 20s, like the idea of that just didn't even register for you. We are not taught about these guys. (laughs) We're not. And, you know, even the word narcissist in my my prior and somebody that had a big ego was kind of arrogant, right? I didn't actually understand the full capacity of what a narcissist was. And I thought, I you know, I, I just had picked, picked the wrong guy. And then clearly, as I started doing more research and, and these terms came up and uh, like checking the boxes, he had checked like every single thing. Um, so it was just really challenging. It was challenging divorce. I actually ended up with sole custody of my son, you know, and that was, such an incredible, awful experience and incredible because I grew so much. Like recognizing, you know, when mama bear comes out, what you are actually capable of. So, you know, it took me to get on the other side of that experience to be able to see that. But truly, I won't regret it. I think we often ignore the red flags that show up. So looking back on that relationship afterward, did you see that there were some red flags that told you that this was not going to go well? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and what were those? <laughs> they were very much, again, from a narcissist perspective, again, not even recognizing that that's who he was un- until that, but just, um, and then it was always somebody else's fault and he just never could get his life together. And there were always stories there was always some reason, woe was me. And ultimately what that was, was preying on my own insecurity, my need to feel valued. And so then I would come to the rescue and just how that, that really became a form of abuse and manipulation. And so things like that, I mean, we were in a car accident and he was driving my car that got totaled and he walked into my parents' house and was like, aren't you going to feel sad for me? And my dad was like ready to... He's like, you were driving. You didn't even apologize, right? There's no sense that they're accountable for anything. They just always come from that victim. And 
it's always somebody else's fault. So just being able to see, again, the willingness, you know, the gaslighting, how I would be like, why aren't you working? Like, what, what, what's going on with this? And all the stories and that he would make me, you know, the inconsistency, the pathological lying. And when I would be, be like, but you told me this and it doesn't add up to this. Well, you just didn't. That's not what I said. The twisting of words, like not listening to the intention behind my words and then twisting everything just to make it like the list can go on. Yeah, it drives you crazy. But the thing is, you're not looking for red flags, are you? You're like you said, in my experience and as well, and other women that I've talked to, you were told by your parents, by your religion, by society, you need to make a family you need to keep your family together. You need to get married. This is your future because you happened to get pregnant at a young age and you've never been told about these personality issues that, that people can have. So when, when people from the outside might look and say, well, didn't you see the red flags? You are, I mean, that's just an awful lot to ask of someone who's also trying just to survive and to hold everything together. Absolutely. I think, you know, and again, just life experience at that point, I was 20, 22, you know, really, really young, super naive. And um, yes, and you think you're in love because they are giving you enough of that attention that you do feel, you know, valued. And and again, for somebody, you know, my self-esteem was also very low. So it was that if I left him, would I actually be capable of taking care of myself? Who else would want me? I now, based on where we are at, and I have, you know, there's some of those things that very much play into how we can look past the red flags for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some people in this world who are master manipulators and they know exactly how to prey on people's insecurities and get them to do what they want, be who they want them to be. And, and it's, it's tough to see that when you're in it because they constantly put you on the defensive. It's, it's actually a really effective tactic. It's tough for someone to stand strong in themselves when you're constantly attacking them in those subtle, subtle ways. Yes, very much so. So, so I'm I'm really interested. You actually acted really quickly. Um, you know, if you got into that relationship and you were about 21 when you were pregnant and you got yourself out of it by filing for divorce at 23, that was super fast, actually, compared to a lot of people. What what made you realize that you needed to get out and actually gave you this strength to probably go against what your religion and your family and your upbringing were telling you um, and go for that divorce? I think there was... Not, I think there was one specific situation. I had been on the fence, right? Like, can I leave? Can I do this on my own? Can I take care of a baby by myself? Um, I was not living near any family. Um, so, you know, I didn't have that, that physical support of, Hey, can you watch the baby? Can you, any of that? And there was one night where we got in an argument and I was holding my one-year-old in my arms and he shoved us both into the wall. And so now my baby's, you know, now my baby's safety is at jeopardy. And so that absolutely was like, kind of, you can mess with me, not all you want, but we're saying like, but you know, now, now my son's involved and that is not okay. And I already knew like this sort of behavior, you know, I, 
I knew that that was not okay, despite my family's, you know, born and raised, you know, the expectation of, of Catholics is that you you stay married and and no one in my family had been divorced. And, you know, that just wasn't something, quote unquote, we did in our family that I also knew how I was treated. That's not how we treated each other either. So I knew that that was not acceptable, but sort of, you know, kind of feeling that torn between what is actually the right thing. And that experience actually probably was a gift because then I did act so quickly because I was not about to compromise my son's safety. Yeah, something really clear, like a deal breaker like mm-hmm. that it doesn't always happen. So you're right. It it kind of is a nice thing to to be able to point to and, mm-hmm. and make your decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you got out of the marriage and then what happened? How did your life change and where are you now? Well, so that was getting out of the first marriage. <laughs> so then uh, I didn't date a whole lot after my uh son, you know, after my first divorce, but I did date a little bit. I met this really nice guy and he had a son. So we were both single parents with boys, you know, one, one kiddo each. And, um, we dated for probably about a year, year and a half. And ultimately we ended up getting married and we were married for eight years, had two more children and then he came home a week before my little guy was one. So my boys in that one year mark <laughs> and just said, I want a divorce. I'm done. And it was really, you know, it was very blindsided, quite honestly. I was like, it, it felt like freight train hit me because when we talk about like red flags, there weren't any. Even to this day, it's not like hindsight was 2020. Oh, I should have saw that coming. He's just a very flat person, right? He doesn't get really upset about anything. He doesn't get really excited about anything. He doesn't definitely a very like masculine man that doesn't share his emotions or what was going on in his brain. So he just kind of kept going. So there just weren't any signals. Right. There really weren't. And so, um, but by that time, I recognized that I deserved to be loved and I wasn't about to stay in a relationship where I wasn't. I was actually at another church and, and this woman said to me, and I said that, well, had he cheated on you? No. And she's like, well, is he gay? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, then you should keep him. I'm like, it's not up to me to keep him. <laughs> so, you know, like to honor that and to honor that I love myself enough, God loves me enough, and there's somebody else out there that will love me. And if he doesn't, to be okay with that. Yeah. But that was definitely so yeah, a journey in my own worthiness from when I was 22 to now 34, 35. Wow. That is so important. I think that's such a key thing that each of us needs to make sure is in place, that sense of self-worth. And what was it for you that I guess made you realize that, you know, you just needed to let go and, and go find that? Where did that come from? Quite honestly, I don't know. I think I had just through my corporate career, like after my first divorce and, you know, that was an experience at 22 years old, straight out of college, trying to get on my feet, get a car, get an apartment. Now I'm paying for daycare and diapers and formula and, you know, a $30,000 a year wage (laughs) that 
you know, I would go to the store at like Wednesday night, like after bank schools, right? And I'd go buy diapers and formula and write my check and just pray to God that it didn't clear uh, till Friday morning when I would get paid. Yeah. Right. And so right. I scraping it together. Right. And so I'm like, I am a professional. I'm an intelligent, educated, professional woman. And I don't want to live like this anymore. And I don't want my children to live like this. So I just became really driven in my career to make sure that I could always take care of myself. And as we talk through this, you know, your question, Carmel, that I think knowing that nothing was guaranteed, I never in a million years thought that I would be divorced once. And even in my marriage, I didn't ever think I would be divorced. Like the second time, I really didn't see that one coming. But I think in the back of my head, it was like, but there's no guarantee. So you need to be able to take care of yourself. And so I was really driven to make sure that I can financially support myself. And knowing that when my second ex-husband said, I'm done, that I was confident that I'm like, okay, well, I can afford the mortgage. I can afford my car payment. I can afford to take care of my kids. I'm good. And Uh I didn't need him any, like, not that I didn't want him, but I I didn't need him to move forward in my life. That's a huge confidence builder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's so important. I think that's one of the values that I try to drive home with my kids too, to have that footing, that confidence, that financial knowledge in the world, and just to be able to be okay with, because you can't control other people and you don't know what you're going to, who you're going to end up with and whether you're going to buy into the wrong person at first and just having that sense of self and resourcefulness within yourself. It's so good. Yeah. So you were okay. I absolutely believe, and I've taught this as well in my coaching, that when you level up your self-worth, you level up your relationships, right? Like that's the thing. Every time I leveled up my self-worth, I put myself, I found a better person for me. (laughs) My second ex-husband, he's a great guy. He truly is a really good person. We just now, I can see on the other side of it, we weren't a great, we weren't a great couple, We were great teammates. We were great partners, but that's kind of where it left off, right? And we both came together out of a sense of need at that point in our life. But that's a powerful recognition. Yeah. Yeah. But now in the relationship I'm in now is beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. But I did so much work on me. I spent a lot of time by myself before I jumped into, I didn't even say jump because we did done. We did not jump. I went really, really slow <laughs> into that relationship. But I spent yeah. five years not in a relationship out of, out of my second marriage before I, you know, moved into another relationship. So I gave myself lots of time to do that inner work. Yeah. And it was because you had the confidence that you were fine on your own mm-hmm. that you were able to take that time, really. You know, someone who didn't have that sense of independence of I can I can take care of myself I can take care of my kids I'm fine on my own it would be so much harder mm-hmm. to give themselves the space to not be in a relationship and to just do the work on themselves that allows them to find that that relationship that they're really looking for absolutely i think we think it's easier to move into a relationship, to have another person help take care of us, help take care of the kids. Yeah. And if you haven't done your own work, 
the energy that it takes to make that relationship work is so much more than what it would have been just to take care of yourself and your children. Right. Holy. I, I just think that's so, so, so powerful. And if, if, if you're listening and that's the only thing you take away from this, I think that would be sufficient. <laughs> ah, no kidding. Because that's the message we get everywhere we turn to. It's like this sympathy that people have for single parents, especially single moms for some reason, and just like this feeling sorry for you because you don't have enough help. Where honestly, being in a relationship with somebody who's not whole or not healthy or not emotionally available, whatever it is, that is so much more exhausting than when you can just create the life without that draining energy. So yeah, really important message there, Allison. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So I would love to dissect how you came to that wonderful place and how you grew yourself. But I, before we do that, I really want to know, more about you now. Like, what does life look like for you now? What's your career? What's your relationship? Where are you right now? Right now is uh, sometimes I kind of pinch myself. It feels a little surreal. Um, I am in an amazing relationship that I, I don't even think I could wrap my brain around what it is until I experienced it. Like the amount of unconditional love that Austin has. Part of my story is I stepped out of corporate life and into entrepreneurship. And I really in shares. And just one little story. He is, he did support us for a little while while I got my business up and running, right? So just doing that. But then I would be like, I'm not making money fast enough and all of this is on you. And, you know, not being able to accept his support, right? I really, really struggled with that, especially as a very independent woman. And, and I didn't plan into entrepreneur, you know, step into entrepreneurship. It was kind of this crazy journey, but just, he wrote me this like three or four line contract that more or less just he signed. And he said, I will love you and support you unconditionally, no matter what, forever and ever. (laughs) Oh oh my God, you're going to make me cry. Right? Like, beautiful. It really, like, I am, so I just also, like, you don't, nobody needs to be in a relationship. We are whole, complete humans. We do not need to be in one. But when you find one, like, this is the kind to have, because it is truly a partnership. It is truly supportive. And when you can challenge each other and grow to, grow, grow together like, and honestly, even in my family, well, I can say no one was divorced. I can tell you no one had a relationship like this either. And so I think this is just a testament to those, like, I am not going for the work that I've done. And to be able to own that and say, I worked really hard. Like, after my second divorce, I had three strikes and you're out, Allison. <laughs> I, that. I was more like, okay, if we're going to do this, third time is going to be a charm. And how do I make that happen? And what do I need to do again? And not necessarily that there's still any guarantees, but I, I can't jump into another relationship. I'm not willing to take that risk right now. So anyway, I've worked in corporate finance actually for over 20 years and did a lot of personal development, worked, um, just really evaluating relationships for myself. 
right? And what does that look like? And what's important to me and what really matters? What are my conditions of a great relationship? And just actually using dating to figure that out because I really hadn't like dated like younger. I mean, a couple, what really matters? Well, dates, a couple guys here and there, but really using that as like a real life experiment of like, and so met Austin I was in this job. I took another job that I thought was going to be my dream job. It was the job from hell. I quit on the spot, which is not like me at all. And I'm like, I was looking for a job <laughs> in corporate finance and, and I was getting job offers and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm kind of burned out. And so I hired a coach to help me because I'm like, I don't know what else I can do. What, what else can I do? This is my background. What else? And she put this little bug in my ear that I would make a great coach and um, realized I had actually been doing it very unofficially in my corporate career for many, many years. And so talked to Austin. He's like, yeah, you totally should do that. I will support you in doing that. And so... Um, I love this man just a little <laughs> bit. I've never met him, but I love this man. We're going to make Austin, <laughs> Austin posters. <laughs> he is just... Oh, um, He's, he's incredible. And let me just say, he's not perfect. Our relationship isn't perfect. So we all have our little bumps and, and times. And so, um, but yeah, so I moved into, uh, actually started coaching in corporate executive and leadership. And I'm like, this isn't really like, this still isn't feeling right. And then just had this epiphany. He and I were drinking some wine one night and we're talking <laughs> And like, oh, it's my personal life. It's relationships. It's everything that I went through. And, you know, when I would keep asking, like, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through? I keep trying to be a good person. Why does this stuff happen? Right? And you just, just question and question. And then it was like kind of one of those lightning bolt moments. Like, you know, the big ahas, uh, the mic drop, whatever analogy you want to use. That awesome. odd. All of that, all of that serves a purpose and how I can support other people in stepping into their own worth, creating a relationship on their terms that is fulfilling, that they get to choose if they want to, you know, like you don't have to be in one, you get to choose to be in one. And so that's, that's been my journey and that's what I've done for the last coaching four years, relationships about two and a half. So what a cool insight to be sitting there and just realize that, you know, something's off and, and realize that you had something to give that was right in front of you all along. It really was. It just, it felt like, you know, when you just get that sense, like it's just, it's just right. Like it just aligned. You feel aligned is I think the best word. And I think, you know, you, I was searching for it. And again, as entrepreneurs that, you think, well, this is the thing that I want to do. And you just go after that thing. And it's like the refinement of the alignment. <laughs> Ooh, kind of, yes. Kind of, yes. An evolution still. And yeah. Because just because you feel aligned with something doesn't mean it's going to be an instant success. There's, you know, there's still work to do. There's still perseverance. <laughs> and so what did you need to tell yourself to keep going, even when it was like the evidence wasn't there that this was going to work. Yeah, I think it was practicing. I think it was that knowing, like that that was like 
this is my purpose. And once I had that, mm-hmm. that, that all that I've done has a greater purpose. And it was a huge opportunity, you know, through my coaching as a giver. So, you know, I spent many years being coached. And so I think just recognizing that I get to receive that giving and receiving is an ecosystem. And so as somebody that has primarily given and given and given, this was an opportunity for me to receive, to receive support, to receive, you know, whether it was financial support, emotional support, to receive love, that they believed in me. And so, you know, my coach and Austin in particular, that they helped believe in me enough to I could believe in myself to that level. And I think just uh, the freedom that stepping into this would allow for me and what I can offer the world. I know that was kind of a multifaceted answer, but. Yeah, no, that's great. It's sometimes we just need someone else to have the faith in us that we're not quite ready to have in ourselves in order to like tip us over the edge and go, okay, if that person believes in me, maybe I can believe in myself. I mean, if, if you can do it on your own, awesome. <laughs> but sometimes we need that. Um, and that's why it's so important, I think, to surround yourself with great people who see the best in you and who want the best and best for you. And it sounds like you've done that. I love that your relationship story is right now is more about helping you become the best that you are. It's not about pandering to someone else's needs. And, you know, it sounds like you're two very solid, independent, on your own people who just make each other better. I think that's so beautiful. I think that's what makes this relationship so different than anyone I've had before. And I think that's why it's working is because it's not about codependence or this neediness or the people pleasing or the fear of if I'm not good enough, he will leave or she will leave that we just get to share the best parts and, and yeah, just get to share the best parts of each other and the best parts of life. And then it's an adventure. So good. So can you share a bit of a a map for women um, and men who are kind of in that rut that maybe you might identify with and the relationships haven't worked and they really do want to get you know, to a place where they feel really good about the relationship, like you seem to, or like you do. You know, what, what are some of the, the milestones or the different types of work that people could be doing t- to really up-level their love life? I think two things right off the bat. Um, the first thing is to truly create a life that they love. We actually have so much more control over our lives and it's easy I know people don't like this word to be the victim and to use, right? And to say, well, I can't, I I can't because I've got the kids or I have to do this because he's doing that. And actually to step into your own power and, and, and for both men and women, right? I know plenty of men that as dad, as provider also, you know, even if they're single, right? Whether they're in a relationship or single, that they're both still like, we don't, it's really hard for us to put ourselves first. And actually, this, this was mind-blowing for me as 
a mom and especially as a single mom. When I went through my coach training, they brought up this idea of healthy priorities. And priority number one is yourself. And I just went, I don't need to hear another word. I'm out. That's not true. Like, my kids are at the top of the list. Like, kids are number one, job number two, everything else number three, and wherever the bottom is, that's where I'm at. Like, that's mentally how I had created my life, right? And that, from that place, I I was exhausted, I was unfulfilled, and resentful of a lot of things. And so when I actually paused and got over my shock and listened to healthy priority, number one is taking care of yourself. And when you are fully sourced, when you are taken care of, when you feel happy and like you, you're serving your own purpose, not everyone else's, like you get to give, you know how people always say, we, especially for women, we try and rationalize that self-care is filling your cup so that you have enough to give to others. That is a step for people that don't take care of themselves if that's a step to get them there. But ultimately, we should be so filled and so sourced and so happy that we just get to give away with no conditions, all the abundance, all the overflow. And that we get to share with our partner and our family and our friends. So we are whole on our own, uh-huh. right? And, and that was huge for me because when I started doing that, my kids are like, mom, you're so much happier. And you know what? They started spending more time with me and they started talking to me more. Wow. Because when I was so wow. out, right? When I was yeah. Yeah. so stressed out trying to be the perfect mom and make sure everything was taken care of and everybody else was taken care of. I was not a fun person to be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I think often we don't recognize it. Like we don't recognize how our unhappiness, how our unfulfilledness is negatively impacting the others around because we're so busy taking care of them. And we think, well, they should be happy even if I'm not because I'm taking such good care of them. But they don't need a lot of the stuff that we do for them. You know, we're talking specifically about kids. Um, They need you as a parent to be present and to love them and to be happy because emotions are contagious. Mm -hmm. Totally. Right? Absolutely. We think as parents that it's about what we say and what we do. And I actually say the most important part of being a parent is who we're being, how we're showing up in the world and that goes to that deeper level of energetics. Like our kids totally, right? They're so intuitive. They pick up on all that yes. stuff. They totally, like, not fooling anybody. Yes. <laughs> so true. Oh, my son knows what's going on at all times. <laughs> I mean, there's a few things he misses, but like that kid knows. <laughs> it's so true. And those of us who like are in an unhappy job and just realizing that we have to pay the bills and that's the only thing that we're focused on and we're just feeling completely miserable. And yeah, absolutely. Like that is just, you need to get some help and really look at your life again and because that's not serving anyone and it's not serving you and it's not serving your kids. 
Absolutely. So I think when we talk about the getting back to your original question, Lindsay, I think that is like one of the most important things anyone can do is work on taking care of themselves and not just physical care, right? But emotional care, like really building that self-love and creating yourself as a priority. Yeah. And then, you know, your relationship becomes the next priority if you're in one. So if you're not, that then it goes just to finish the healthy priorities is number one is you. Number two is your partner relationship. Three is work. Four is kids. I just about fell off. Whoa. Right? Wow. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. And I didn't think you know, go there. Oh, we talk about this, right? And then five is everything else. Because if we think about how we manage and take care of our lives. So first, our kids need to know that if we're in a relationship, that it's a stable relationship. And we are a role model for how relationships healthy relationships happen, right? They learn so much more about who we're being and and what we do rather than what we just say. And so actually being an example as what, here's what a healthy relationship looks like. And sometimes we might disagree, but how do we do that in a healthy way? And here's what affection looks like and being able to do all of that. Here's how we partner together. Here's how we get through disagreements. Like our kids need to see all that in a healthy way. Right. So that's why nurturing your relationship is the second priority. Number three is work. And it kind of touches on a little bit of what um, Lindsay said is like when you're miserable, again, your kids pick up on that. And the ability to actually be able to, you know, financially take care of them, right, to have a stable job, to be able. So that doesn't mean that it. when we look at priorities, it doesn't mean that it has to always consume our life. But Finding that career that is, you know, that job that is meaningful and brings us joy and can financially take care of our children. Because if it doesn't matter if we can't feed them and we can't clothe them, then they're still pretty miserable too, right? And and that doesn't mean when your kid has a skinned knee that they're at the bottom of the list. No. Right? No. But just that big picture priorities. And so when I actually opened my mind to that, it was a huge game changer for me in terms of Right. Because I think of parents in general, but especially single parents, we tend to put our kids at number one. And I did that for many, many years. And now that I'm on the other side of it, and let me tell you, my kids had some like, well, they were like, they also, mom, you're so much happier. So I had when I started to set some boundaries, they're like, wait, what? You're not going to do this for me right this second because I asked you to do this thing right this second. <laughs> and this one. And I think that's healthy. I think that's really like, healthy. you're, you're really setting the example for setting boundaries. And, you know, those, those little humans are going to go out and get into relationships. And I think particularly when you have sons, it's really important to prep them for taking care of themselves and not having their partner take care of them. Cause that, that's, I think a tendency that can happen. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that in terms of especially the gender roles that, you know, things are shifting and generationally, a couple generations ago when women were in the workforce, like that part of our life hasn't kind of kept up with, you know, hasn't adjusted at the same rate that us women being back in the, you know, not being back, but being in the workforce and taking on all the responsibility that we do if you're not intentional and teach that to your sons, they're just going to continue that. And then their woman that they're with or their partner that to, to learn how to have that healthy relationship and what those expectations are. One other thing I wanted to say 
is that when we put our kids at the top of the list, we're also teaching them that they are more important than anybody else, right? And that creates that sense of entitlement and that, you know, um, that the world should stop for them and they don't learn how to cope. To your point, Carmel, like they don't learn how to, to, to take care of themselves. And so when I started to be able to see all that, I'm like, oh, yeah. time to pivot, Time to step up my parenting game to the next level. (laughs) And it really puts your kids at the top in the end because everything you're doing is feeding them a great role modeling. um, Just sort of like it's all their needs are being filled without what we're being taught nowadays, which is bordering on that helicopter parent. So, yeah, I love it. So I'm really curious now when you have those boundaries in place and you've got those ideas about yourself and your world, how does it work when you mesh two families together? Because I hear that Austin mm-hmm. has kids and you've got kids. Like, tell us what that looks like and how many kids are involved. And like, how did you guys figure that out? Yes. So in total, we have five children. I have three of my own and he has two boys. They're twins. And they happen to be the same grade as my daughter. So when we meshed families, it was like getting triplets. And another really, I just have to share this little little fun fact. My oldest son, his name is Tristan. And one of Austin's boys' name is Tristan. So we have five children. It's oh, boy. the same name. <laughs> Holy cow. Right? And it's not the most common wow. name. So um, <laughs> what, are, what are the odds? Right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're being called to the challenge. Yes. <laughs> so just one of those little fun facts. So that made it a little interesting to always like clarifying which kid we were talking about. But I think the one thing that we did really, really well that made all the difference. And I want to say this in the context of um, seeing what my oldest son went through when, you know, we blended families with my second ex-husband, what my children, their dad remarried and what they kind of, you know, what their experience has. And then Austin's wife remarried. So we'd have like this whole blending of pieces. Wow. Kind of experts. Yes. And so, um, well, and just to be able to actually acknowledge what we did well and, and just how different people do things. And so what I think we did really well was we respected the kids. And what I mean by that is that through the whole dating process, so Austin and I dated probably about six months before we talked about either one of us meeting the kids, not the kids meeting the kids, but just me meeting his sons and him meeting my children. And we took that step first and we checked in with the kids and like, are you okay? Are you guys ready for this? Are you, you know, and what does that look like? And it started out with like a dinner, right? Like an hour or two. And then when they got comfortable, we met, you know, them a few times. Then we did another event with the kids where the kids met each other. And we went to like an adventure park. So it was like bumper cars and laser tag. And we said, well, something fun. fun." Right. And so they don't have to be like sitting at each other looking. Like, what do we talk about? Right. They like, okay, so they met and we said, we'll be here an hour and then we'll check in with you guys. And how are you doing? And so we just, we checked in. We always checked in with the kids. And I know some people will say, well, you're letting your kids run the show. And that's actually not what we did. They did not get to make necessarily decisions, but they got to have input. And so stepping in from that, just always respecting that they're kids and they want to still be, they're still human. They still want to be respected 
just the way an adult wants to be respected, you know, and, and for a long time. So Austin and I actually lived about an hour away from each other and we dated for four years before we moved in together. So, you know, there was a a little bit of a drive and some time spent commuting. And so, but I would ask my children, like, is it okay if Austin comes over tonight or tomorrow night or whatever? And they never once said no. And I asked them about that later on. And they're like, well, you asked us. Like, he didn't just show up. Like, you just, you just asking us was all we needed. And so I think we just integrated that mutual respect when we were looking for houses. We took the kids with us. And we're like, again, not that anyone kid got to, you know, say, not this house. But really, like, <laughs> it wasn't that they got to run, again, that they got to run the show. But like, okay, if this is a place you're living, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And just getting their feedback and perspective, you know? And I, so I just, I think that taking your time and letting the kids, like yours, your speed isn't necessarily the kid's speed. Uh-huh. Right? And my daughter has such a good relationship with Austin that she has said she wants him to walk her down the aisle. Oh, I love like, it. I can't let him listen so to this now because he doesn't know that. It's so successful. <laughs> They've built such a great relationship. Yeah. And truly, in like, you know, from a co-parenting perspective, um, that, so I just, I think the blending families, like if I have to like boil it down to one thing is just that respect. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm hearing is that you really avoided having a very authoritarian approach, which is like, this is what's happening and, you know, you're under my roof. So, you know, like sign up, right? You took an approach of, you know, letting them know what was going on, that they have a say, mm-hmm. not that they were going to get necessarily get to make the decisions, but that their opinion mattered to you. And I think that goes a long way within families, within workplaces, like all kinds of situations, right? You could apply that to a lot of different relationships. And the way that you boil it down to that word respect, having respect for the fact that they are along for the ride Mm -hmm. and there's a lot that they don't get a say in, Um, but that you love them enough and you respect them enough to ask their opinion. Yes. Yeah. I think it's just magical. Allison, you said one more thing that I really wanted to dig in on um, you talked about dating as an experiment to sort of figure out what you want in a relationship. And, you know, as a solo parent, just thinking about dating, it just sounds like people just make it sound so hard. It's, it's like, oh, you have to kiss so many frogs and there's so many people you don't want to meet. And it's just overwhelming. So I think the idea of using it to learn is so refreshing. Can you, can you tell us a bit how you structured that dating and found the time and all of that? Yes. I think I just started coming back and really like I didn't necessarily think about dating like that when I started dating. But then as I said, after two divorces, I really wanted to do it differently and not just fall into old patterns and habits. And so, and I wanted to be intentional. I didn't want to date to be that person that was just the serial dater. That was also, let me just clarify, that was also not my intention when I say I was trying to making making an adventure. Like I'm just out there just to get a free dinner. Because let me tell you, I actually probably paid for more dinners and drinks than I received. 
Um, and part of that was on me because I didn't want them to think that. Um, but, but from that perspective, actually coming back from those dates and being like, well, what, what did I really love about this person? Even if it wasn't a good fit. And in making that date have a purpose and a meaning rather than just be like, well, cross that one off the list. <laughs> Most of these guys were just really nice guys, right? And if you didn't necessarily click on that level, it didn't mean that they were a bad person or um, that it was a bad date. You just could feel that there's chemistry and, and interest. And, you know, like I learned a sense of humor is really important for me and somebody that is willing to travel and that loves to eat lots of, you know, a, a wide variety of food. Like I love food. I love cuisines. And some of those things sound really basic and like they shouldn't matter that much. But I made that mistake of not making my my list specific enough. And so then, right, I just like, I didn't want to settle. And I think I settled for like, oh, he's a really nice person and he's got a good heart and he holds a job and he's got a nice family and that's enough. Did you find in your experience of dating that you weren't specific enough, partly because you didn't believe that what you, that if you got too specific, that it would be like that person doesn't really exist or I'm being too picky or my expectations are unrealistic? Yeah, I think mm, I waffled for a while. You know, we talk about um, dating <laughs> as somebody that lived in a professional world of looking at lots of resumes, right? Like there, and I did a lot of online dating. So you would look at the profile and be like, cause I was, I, at first I was like, I'm not settling. So at first I set my expectations really high to the point where nobody could meet them. Cause that would keep me emotionally safe. And then I was like, well, all these guys have these beautiful resumes and then you meet them and you're like, wah, wah. <laughs> so then I went to the other extreme of like, you know, if if they had a couple things that you were like over here on their resume and you're like, well, you can still be a really nice guy. And I did meet some really nice guys, right? So their 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 resume, so to speak, their profile, it doesn't always mine up with who they are. And so I think that was kind of where I stepped into that whole idea of like, this is an adventure. Like trust your gut a little bit more and trust Allison. You know, if somebody's reaching out to you to start with that conversation, it's just a conversation. You don't have to, you know, that's all it is. And actually then as I dated more and more to be intentional, because I recognized I went, I had the pendulum of like way over here and then, you know, way on the other side of such high expectations and such low expectations and saying, I need to find the person that's right for me. And I think that's actually where my idea of like being really intentional about my dating, but this adventure of like exploration and what is it that I really, really want? Because I think I had such high expectations. He has to make, you know, and when I say high expectations, like he has to make so much money. He has to be this height. He has to live within 20 miles of me, right? They weren't actually like meaningful qualities. I think that's such an important distinction that, that, you know, setting, there are certain things that you can, you know, set as expectations that aren't really meaningful. They won't necessarily lead to a, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? The relationship that you want, a fulfilling relationship. So I think that's just a super important distinction. And it was, it, was it a matter of just over time you realized that some of the, mm -hmm. some of the requirements, quote unquote requirements that you were setting 
weren't really getting you what you wanted, the relationship that you wanted. Yes. It was absolutely a learning experience. And it has to be an experience. I mean, I think there's some of us that are, depending upon how much dating you have done, that you can start a list. And I think a great way, well, this again is not my area of expertise, but this is something that we were, I've heard this tool and I've suggested this tool even with clients that are in a relationship because sometimes we forget like, what are the things that are like the the have to haves, right? And that list might be somewhat short, but here are like, this person has to have, they have to have a job. Like, and while we all would love somebody that is making a million dollars, maybe they have to make 75,000 because that will allow them to take care of themselves, allow them to go on vacation with me where I don't have to pay for all of their things all of their time, right? Like there can still be some minimum standards, I'm, you know, like, but what are the have to haves? And then this middle part is like, what is like really important, right? And these are the things that are valuable, but are maybe a little harder to measure, like a sense of humor. Like that's something that's really important. I want to laugh every day, but not everybody's going to have the sense of humor that I find super funny, right? So somebody might have a really dry sense of humor and, and you're like, you know, that's just not my style. Or somebody loves, you know, the, just the really quirky, dorky sense of humor for somebody else, that's there, right? So it's kind of hard to pinpoint specifically, but knowing that a sense of humor is important to me, knowing that, you know, they love to try new food, right? They're adventurous, right? Having some context around those specific things in your own brain, what does that actually kind of mean? And there's some wiggle room in there, right? So if I say somebody that loves food and they're like, yeah, I love food except for Indian, I'm not going to be like, well, cross you off the list. <laughs> If they say, I never again, never again. But if they say, I only eat burgers and pizza, I'm like, that is, that's not for me. I love to experiment with food. I love to cook. I love, you know, like that's part of my pleasure in life. And so um, just recognizing those things. And then the last category are like absolute non-negotiables. So for me, someone that smokes is a non, like when I say non-negotiable, it's like I am not tolerating Versus the have-to-haves are like, I want this person to have the thing. And then, you know, the non-negotiable is like, these are the things that I will not tolerate in a person. And so I think that just helps when, and that dating helped me create that list. And so then the more I dated, then the more I could be more, you know, distinguished when I would see somebody's profile and be like, for me personally, they say smoker, I can move on. Like I, you know, like that, so I'm with you on that one, right? Like that, that's one of mine too. We were going to talk about one more thing before we, we go. And that was um, the idea of getting married in midlife, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you've maybe been married once or twice before. I'd love to get your, cause you're in a, you're in a committed relationship with a man that you love, who loves you. And, you know, but having already been married twice, I could totally understand if you were like, I don't really need to do this again. So I'm curious what your perspective is, especially being a relationship coach. How important is, you know, the official ceremony and would it be different for you now than it was in the past? It's absolutely different. I think we alluded to this earlier in the conversation, but when we're in our 20s, let's say, or even early 30s, especially in our first marriage, well, we very much can be in love there's also an expectation that like 
you fall in love, you get married, you have kids. Like there's like an order that you have to follow in order to reach adulthood and successful adulthood. And I totally subscribe to that myself. There's a trigger in our brain that once we're married, right, we, we get the excitement, we get the, the high of dating. And then there's the high of the proposal. And then there's the high of planning the wedding. And then after the wedding, you're like, you think you're going to live in this white picket fence world. And the reality is you are just two adults adulting. <laughs> yeah, it's when reality sets it's when in. Reality. Oh, oh my goodness, now the work starts. Right, and we don't have that next thing to look forward. Right, and we don't have that next thing to look forward to in our brain. It doesn't have to be our truth, but when we don't recognize it, that is often what happens. And then there's this letdown. And then we get into just the groove of everyday life. And that's where I think, again, the coaching that I do, and I'm actually moving more into premarital and early marriage, because I really, instead of helping people on the back end, which is still great and fulfilling, I'm like, oh my gosh, if I can help people at the beginning of their relationship to have a better one to reduce the divorce rate. However, I am not, well, those are the people I support. I don't believe you have to be married. A lot of people ask me a lot, like, why aren't you married? You're helping married people. Why aren't you married? And I'm personally not married because it's a piece of paper. And that I, all my first two weddings, one was at a courthouse. And then the next one, we were on like a super tight budget and we had to be married before we could move in together because our families would freak out. And so there was always like, I want to do it on my terms when it feels good and right for me and I get to have the wedding that I want. Because ultimately, in our, especially those of us that have been married once before, the wedding is just the celebration of the marriage you've already created. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. And it sounds like your first two experiences were not, were not of a celebration. It was a formality. It was, well, you know, you better do this if you want that or, you know. And so I, I can totally hop on board with this idea of, you know, if you're going to choose mm -hmm. to do it again, mm -hmm. that it be the celebration that you believe that it should be of the, this beautiful relationship that you've created. And I think it shifts to that something... In looking at your relationship, when you can just look at it as a celebration, it's not that, well, everything, it's not a milestone that says, I have to be married and then I get to have all these other things. You get to have the life that you want, married or not. Again, the wedding is just the celebration. And when, but sometimes we think, well, I can't have this thing until I'm married. I can't have the happily ever after. Yeah, which causes all kinds of problems. It also like knocks you off of those feet that you're standing so firmly on. If you're, you know, if you're so solid in yourself and yet you have to jump through this hoop that, yeah, that's just not a great setup for a happy life. Well, there's so many quotes, so many things that I've written down in this conversation today. It's, it's just been so helpful. Thank you, Allison. We yeah. have, um, we have some lightning round questions that we love to ask all our guests. And um, sure. we were hoping you'd be game to answer them too. Absolutely. Awesome. I think because we talked about the importance of taking care of yourself, mm -hmm. the one that I'm going to ask is, what is your favorite activity that you get to do just for you? Meditating. 
just, I have my own little space and I put my earbuds in and I just get to let my mind go to wherever or nowhere. And that is my quick little, and I think I love it too, because I can do it for 10 minutes and I can do it for an hour. Like it doesn't like some some self-care things require a lot more time and planning. And I love all those things too, but I can throw my earbuds in while Austin's driving somewhere and just like chill out in the car for a few minutes. So. Yeah. It's something that requires so little, like really you could, you could have nothing. You don't even have to have a recording or anything. You just get to decide I'm going to do nothing right now. Right. Except notice my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Lindsay. What traditions or rituals have you created for your kids and your blended family? Let's see. I think, I don't know. We're not like huge. We kind of just keep it interesting and probably Christmas pajamas has been the thing that um, like even the kids, and I think this is where it's fun because the kids are older, right? They're not all little tiny, tiny. So like getting, you know, 19 year old kids and <laughs> matching pajamas at Christmas. And my brother even joined us this year. So we got a pair for him. And so it was just kind of, yeah, a fun tradition. I think that's awesome. That's super fun. That's so good. What is the most important thing you learned from your parents? Oh gosh. Dang, that's a, that's a good, um, I think there's always been, oh, I know, to just think ahead. Like sometimes it's a really, I, I totally am a big person about being present. But one thing that specifically my dad taught is like when you're going to do something and even when you're driving, just try and think one or two steps ahead. Because from a, like, it just, when you can see what's coming next and how to plan and prepare, it saves you so much time from having to like go back and be like, you know, I like, I was made a haste decision or I didn't, you know, kind of the idea of like measure twice, cut once. That in so many, like in structuring my business and even like some of my parenting, like, if I, if I freak out right now, what's good, what am I going to have to like handle later versus just thinking about how will what I do right now affect, you know, my kids going forward. Right. So just always, so whether it's driving and like, does it make sense to pull in front of this person or can I wait, you know, three seconds. So that when there's a nice big gap, little things, I mean, it is so many different aspects of my life. I think I just have integrated that into my decision-making. It's so helpful. Even thinking about parenting that way. All right. Last one. Okay. Who do you look for yourself? Um, who do you look for for inspiration? So many people. Um, I think my inspiration. So I am a part of this um, women's entrepreneurship group. And Lisa Limata is one of the owners. And she has just created, she was a divorced mom as well, raised her kids, um, but just has stepped into this beautiful role of she's so she's a coach but just being in power but still being really incredibly feminine right so there's a beautiful balance of masculine and feminine energy of heart and you know like kind of that tough love is even too strong of a word but 
balancing the practical and the strategic with the spiritual. Like, and it just, to be able to see, I lived in a very, very masculine world for many, many years, just how I was raised. And then in a, you know, corporate finance, which is a very male dominated field, to be able to see how she can bring in. So I get to step more into my own feminine and, you know, let go of some of the hustle and let go of some of the, I gotta, I gotta earn my way in and fight for it kind of thing. And I just get to step back. So I love that. Letting go of the hustle mm-hmm. and, and nourishing, nurturing yourself. That's beautiful. Yes. Thank yeah. you. And I feel, I think that feels better for, for, for women mm-hmm. anyways. This was absolutely divine. Allison, I think Carmel and I would both agree that we've learned a ton from listening to your story and how you look at life, um, as well as great dating tips <laughs> and relationship tips. I mean, who doesn't want those? <laughs> so thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was, this was so much fun. You ladies are lovely. I love what you're up to as a single mom that did all the hustle and totally felt all of that. You know, when Carmel and I, specifically Lindsay, when we were talking on our first conversation that the, um, you know, victim-y part and actually being able to support men and women in standing in their own power, but for the rest of the world to be able to see us as very capable, that we're fine and, and not play into that. I just, I think that's really powerful work. And so glad you guys are taking it on. Before you leave, we want to give a big shout out to our friend and musician, Laura Kosh, who wrote our intro slash outro music. Laura is the singer songwriter for the band, The Quirks, and you can find them online at thequirks.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and share it with other single parents in your life. Thanks for listening. Great.